0: morning good morning good morning a great pleasure to be able to share with you this morning father we pray that in the remembrance of of everything that we're doing here we pray that Jesus will be at the center we pray that you'll speak to us you'll touch us and you'll help us in our in our everything that we're doing there's so many stories here today so many different things that are needed we pray that you'll touch hearts in Jesus name amen There we are. That's pretty, isn't it? I thought I'd give you something to look at. Um, If you were to um, open your Bibles and do a bit of reading, you could have a look at, uh, in your leisure time, you could have a look at Genesis um, chapter 6 through to Genesis chapter 9. It would give you the account of Noah's Ark. The sad thing is that there are certain stories in the Bible or accounts that we've decided are only useful for Sunday school. So we talk about Zacchaeus, we talk about and Noah's Ark. There's pretty pictures of Noah's Ark with a lovely rainbow. And once you're eight years old, it's of no value to you anymore, which I don't know why we think this, because Noah's Ark is full of powerful truth. And uh, the story about it is tragic and terrible and wonderful all at once. Um, Very, very briefly, um, in Genesis 6, verse five basically where we find ourselves is after adam and eve left the garden of eden things deteriorated very quickly and very badly um, i think the experience of many of us is that um, the old adage that worrying does work because the things you worry about often don't happen do they and sometimes we imagine the worst but only fairly bad happens uh, I don't know what the imagination of Adam and Eve were as they left the Garden of Eden, but uh, they weren't even close. It was terrible. Um, things got so bad that we have a couple of the saddest things that God ever says in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. He looked at mankind on the earth, and this is what he said. He saw that every intent of his heart was only evil continually. There just was. He said, well, we look for a silver lining. Well, this is bad but at least this there was no compensation it was just horrible and things had got as bad as they could ever possibly have got and talking of sad and terrible things that God said Genesis 6 verse 7 he said this again looking at man on the earth he said that I am sorry that I made them on the it's hard to walk back from that, isn't it? i somebody sorry he was even born. Um, but that's how he felt. He said, I, I'm responsible for this. I created this. And I'm sorry that I created it. But there was a compensation in the sense that there was a good man on the earth called Noah. And the Bible says that he was a just man in his generation. And most importantly, he walked with God. And because of Noah, we all get a second chance, as it were. We're here today. Because God said, I'm going to wipe everything out. But Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their three daughters-in-law, and, the, and representatives of all the animal species in the world, were going to be collected on the ark. And they would sit on the ark as the earth flooded, and they'd sit there for 150 days where nothing would happen. And then a process of the earth drying out. And eventually the day that they'd longed for, Genesis eight verse fifteen. God said that they could leave the ark, and He gave them a rather simple and a rather obvious commandment: replenish the earth. Let's go again. We'll try this one more time. Let's replenish the earth. That was the commandment. And what I'd like to talk to you about today is not so much the ark and the story, and that's a story worth telling. In fact, it's not a story; it's an account. It it happened. And um, We could do, perhaps we'll do that some other time. It's certainly something worth thinking about. But what I'd like to talk about today is what happened immediately after Noah left the ark. Because what happened was Noah did something and then God did something. What they did was quite different, but it's important and I think will speak to us today. So, first thing happened was that Noah built an altar. He built it to the Lord and he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. God said, go and be fruitful and Noah decided to present an offering. Two really important words. I should have um, capitalized these. I should have made it more obvious. But if you look at that text on the screen, the really important words are the word every and the word clean. Noah decided to offer one of every clean animal that he had. In other words, the most valuable commodity that he had, that he could ill afford to offer, he offered. He didn't just say, well, I mean, me, I'd be offering a spider. Because if I'm repopulating the earth, no spiders. I'm sure I'd create an ecological disaster, but I'd be rather pleased. But that's not the point. i said that out loud didn't i yes there we i think we'll be using the first um recording for the uh for the podcast uh, this week um i'll talk about spiders Mind you, we had a go at arsenal didn't we earlier so i'm going to do that again it's too it's too tempting not to do while i've got a captive audience but the fact is noah we're slightly off message aren't we shall we go back every and clean um noah offered one of everything And I'd like to just spend a moment thinking about the nature of this offering that he made. Firstly, it was his idea. He wasn't commanded to offer these things. It's not written somewhere that he should do it. And if you read the first nine chapters of Genesis, or the first six to be be more accurate, you've only really got one occasion where offerings were, were given, and that was Cain and Abel. That wasn't the fabulous day at the office either if you remember the story um powerful message but it makes a tough read but Noah decided to make an offering so I'd like to respectfully ask a few questions do you mind if I just poke around for a few moments in your minds and hearts why is it as Christians that we always have to be told to do stuff you know we think obedience is really important and I certainly do and Nothing more pleasing to God than he gives a command and somebody obeys it. Nice when people do what you say. Perhaps some of you run businesses and you enjoy the fact that certain people work for you and all you have to do is tell them and they do it. and You don't have to think about it again. So, well, I asked you last week. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Um, nice when you, you say something and it gets done. But what is nicer is when somebody is so good and understands you so well that they anticipate your need and get it done before you've even asked you see that's actually a nice picture of spiritual maturity because what god is looking for is not just people that are frozen to the spot that the moment he asks them to do something they'll leap into action i mean that's okay that's a start but what god is looking for is that people who have known him for a while kind of get to know what god might want us to do and so we don't always have to be told to do something we actually take some initiative and say I've been a Christian a while. I've read the Bible a few times. I think I'm getting the hang of this. I'm going to make an offering. I'm not going to, be wait, I'm not going to wait to be told. I'm just going to do it. And you know what happened when Noah did this? God didn't say, well, you're wasting your time with religious duties. I need an earth populated. It says that God smelt the fragrance, and it was pleasing to God. And I rather like the idea of us being able to do something. For God, or for the body of Christ, to to make an offering. And God says, I like this. Uh, Pleasing to me. Nice to do something that pleases God, isn't it? And um, when I say make an offering, um, I'm perhaps talking about money, but I'm talking about your time, I'm talking about your talents, I'm talking about something that you have that you think, I know, I'm going to make an offering i was praying and a picture i shared in the earlier service was um, the assumption that maybe in your family life there's trouble um, with one of the kids and the school have been on the phone and it and you know the dominoes are falling you you see and uh, so what we do is we pray about it don't we surely we do that and we get the parents to pray we get some of the church people that we trust to pray and that's really really good But in the middle of a real big thing like that, what a good idea it might be to say on Wednesday night, I'm not going to pray about my kid and his problems. There's another family in the church that we've been talking to and they're going through a tough time at the moment. He's just been made redundant. So Wednesday night, we're not praying about us. We're praying about them. Nobody would blame you if you didn't. You've got big fish to fry. But how lovely when we say, well, look, I can't afford this offering. I I haven't got time for this offering. I'm absorbed with what's happening here. But I'm going to step back for it and make an offering anyway. We need to keep hearing this. And we need to keep being reminded of it. This is the natural reaction of the creature to the creator. To make an offering. So, well, Lord, um, it's not a great deal that I've got to offer. But here it is. Now, we're not irresponsible giving things away and, and sort of. I noticed the mortgage didn't come out this month. Oh, yeah, no. I, I gave it to Nigel because he's a good guy. You know, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about proper offer. Nigel's going, <laughs> his hand's going up all over the place here. People are going, yep, yeah, I'll um, <laughs> <I> receive that. <laughs> Noah didn't give most of what he had but he gave one of what he had he gave some it was enough to be inconvenient but not enough to destroy him but it still took some doing when you've got a planet to populate not easy but he did it i wonder how often we have to hear this um, and i say we because i am a player in this as well you can't outgive god if you take care of god's business he'll take care of yours you concern yourself with the things that God's concerned about, and he'll concern himself with the things that you're concerned about. You decide to use some of your energies, some of your time, some of your finances, some of your substance to bless God's family. What do you think God's reaction is going to be to your family? We can't out-give God. We don't give an offering because we're trying to twist God's arm and say, come on, God, answer the prayer. You remember last week, don't like to bring it up, but you know, uh, it wasn't easy, my offering, remember? We don't give in order to get. But it is quite nice to know that when we do step out, and it's a little bit scary that God's got our back in these matters. And Noah made an offering. I like the fact he did it first as well. You can imagine, and I I didn't know if I was sounding rather unkind to Noah's wife, but you sort of imagine, where's your father? trying to put the tent up here we've got nowhere to sleep we've just come out of the ark there's you know um where is he he's over there building something what's he doing it's too small to live in what he's building what can't this wait we've got you know and those would be fair questions And, and there's nothing worse than someone who's got their head in the clouds when you're trying to do something that needs to be done but the fact is the first human action on the new earth as it were was to build an altar and to make an offering how could that ever be the wrong thing to do and just somehow Noah knew this was what was needed we'll pitch the tent later it's a, a phrase from another preacher who i've admired for many years where he talks about abraham and it says that abraham pitched his tent and built an altar whereas in the 21st century we pitch an altar and build a tent don't we any moment now yeah? <laughs> And it's the absolute truth of the matter. God gets our first. He gets our best. We don't wait till it's convenient. We don't wait till we're absolutely sure that we can afford it. We say, well, Lord, before I do anything else, and maybe you're starting a new project or a new venture, why don't you start it with an offering? Because Noah did it first. Like that. Why? Well, one of the main reasons for making an offering is it's a very visual way, even if only to ourselves, to establish the fact that God comes first. Before anything else, God gets the best, and he gets it first. He gets first dibs on me, basically. And that's a real good reason for making an offering. Secondly, it breaks the power of worship. It's a a collection of words in the New Testament that mean worship. But the New Testament was written in uh, a form of Greek and the word that I like for worship is sabadsomai, which is a word that means two things that you put together so it means to be afraid or in awe of something and it means to utterly love something and you put this idea together of Absolutely being afraid and in awe of somebody, but you love them as well. That's kind of what happens. That's what we've just been doing, isn't it? It's what you were leading us in. There's, there should be a little fear and a little awe in worship, and there should also be love and joy. And let me tell you that that feeling, sobadzamai, only belongs to God. Yes. Nobody else should get that from us. Nobody else should get that kind of fear and adoration. Nobody else deserves that except God. There are some people that are very high up in the pecking order that should get our best but only God gets our worship and the problem is as Christians it's very easy to take the good things that God's given us and to make them so important in our lives that instead of just appreciating them and stewarding them wisely we end up worshipping them now we don't sit there you know looking at our sort of bank statement and singing a song of worship it's it's an heart attitude and although we would never admit it and I've never met a Christian who said yep I put my family before God. I will put my job and my career before God. I put my finances before God. Nobody ever says that. But we live as if it's true sometimes, don't we? I, do you know These couple of people here said yes. All these people are in hard-hearted unbelief because no, <laughs> nobody, nobody acknowledged it. Listen, if you don't find yourself accidentally worshipping something else, you're probably not alive it's just a normal thing to do it's not a problem we just stop it when we realize it's happening and one of the best ways to stop worshiping something except God is to make an offering if you start worshiping something then give it away you break the power of that thing over you that you've been worshiping and if we worship some things we become so obsessed with others that we become afraid most people I know are afraid of their finances um, and again <laughs> guilty as charged but the fact of the matter is one of the best way to break the fear of something is to make an offering to give it away and, and, and the devil will use this you think fine you're going to scare me with this well I'm writing Nigel that check yeah I thought, I thought, you know, I have you seen a check somebody gave me a check the other day for a funeral I'd done and I thought what do I do with this you know I didn't see this that i apparently I've learned how to do it on my phone yeah, I know, it's just a wonderful new world, isn't it? But this is the thing, if you, if you give it away, or if you give some of it away, you break its power over you to, to make you afraid. And, and these are good reasons. I don't know if they were Noah's reasons, but I think they're pretty sound reasons to make an offering. So Noah made an offering. It was the right thing to do. It was costly, but it was right. Now that's what Noah did. Let's let's move on very briefly to talk about what God did. Noah made an offering. God made a covenant. God made a covenant. It was one of the first covenants, um, depending on how you read the first few chapters of Genesis. um, It wouldn't be the last. God is a covenant making God. The word covenant is mentioned 292 times in the Bible. 292 times it's mentioned, mostly in the Old Testament. It's certainly mentioned in the New Testament. You cannot understand your relationship with God fully if you do not understand that God is a covenant-making God. And you can't understand it if you don't know what a covenant is. Please excuse me. It's a really, really old word. Hebrew is an old language, but um, within Hebrew there was a development of the language, and covenant was one of the oldest words, and it's so old that sometimes Hebrew words, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, sometimes the Hebrew words have layers of meaning. And this Hebrew word, Um, we were talking about how uh, delicious it is to be English because as English people we get to take exotic languages and exotic words and make them sound like something you bake in a pie yeah Uh, we do it nobody does it better than us the joy of standing in a football crowd and hearing English football fans who have had about six pints of beer chant the name of some poor person from Spain or Italy who doesn't even know their name's being chanted because the way the English fans are chanting it is so different from the actual pronunciation that um, I'm with the Newcastle fans chanting David Ginola's name it was David Ginola and and, um, he didn't even know they were chanting his name because it was so different to the actual pronunciation and I am the biblical languages equivalent of this ladies and gentlemen that's pronounced something like berech or something like that it, it's going to be beret this morning, all right? That's, that's the word, beret, okay? Remember it, not the pronunciation. Um, it's really important, and it comes from um, a, a verb, or we think it does. I've got some friends who are, my Hebrew is appalling. I've got some friends who are scholars, Hebrew scholars, pretty sure that it comes from this verb, barach, which means to cut. And actually, if you were reading the Old Testament in the original language, where we would translate it in English as, he made a covenant, the proper way to address that is to say, he cut a covenant, you see? You don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. Some of you know this, but some of you don't, so you'll you'll uh, bear with a small explanation. So, if you and I were about to make a covenant, and we were Old Testament people... What we would do is we would discuss the terms of our agreement. You'd tell me what you want, I'd tell you what I want. We'd thrash out the terms, and when we had agreed, you and I would take an object of great value, an animal, a piece of livestock that really was depending, our standard of living depending on this, a, a large heifer or something enormously valuable. The animal would be slaughtered. We would cut the animal in two. We would separate the two pieces of the animal, And to seal the covenant, we would agree on the terms again and you and I would walk through the two halves of the animal and we would turn and address the animal and face it. And the symbolism is quite simple but very powerful. If you can walk back through those two halves of the animal, put the animal back together again in such a way that it can stand up and walk away as if it had never been harmed, then you can get out of our agreement. But until that day comes we have a deal okay we have a covenant a covenant it's a hugely important concept it's not a concept that God invented it's a concept that the people of the ancient times did and God decided I can use that and so he did and he said this is going to be the basis of how I deal with mankind I'm not just going to say things I'm going to make covenants. I'm going to make things that I can't get out of and there's no other discussion on the matter. The interesting thing about a covenant with God is that when we make a covenant, we are equal parties. So we both bring something to the table. I listen to your ideas, you listen to mine, and we make a deal. God and mankind are not equal parties. I hate to break that to you, but we are not. So when it comes to making a covenant with us, God is not terribly interested in our demands or what we want. Because he knows best, God dictates the terms of a covenant. So God calls the shots. And I'm glad he does, because if it was left to us, can you imagine the mess we'd be in, honestly? Allow me, if God says, well, all right, I thought it was better to do this way, but let's try what... I don't think so. And, and God made a covenant with Noah. There's a lovely picture in the book of Genesis chapter 15, a little later on, where Abraham is told by God to cut some pieces of an animal in half. Abraham falls asleep, has a vision of a pillar of fire passing through the pieces of the animal. God was literally walking through and making a covenant. It's unbelievable. Um, The power of this word is so important. The covenant is costly, It's a powerful visual if, even in brutal times in the Old Testament, you cut a large animal in half and walk between it, that wouldn't slip your mind. And the covenant, as I said, is permanent. It's an amazing thought that God wants to base his relationship with us upon covenant agreements that he has made and that he has instigated. And it's not just the Old Testament, because when Jesus sat down with his disciples, to celebrate the Passover and to break bread and to institute what we call the Last Supper. He broke bread with his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is, there's this word again, the new covenant in my blood. Jesus dying on the cross is God establishing a covenant with us. It's exactly the same principle. This time, it's not a a heifer that's been cut in half. It's the Lord of glory who has been messed up and ruined for us and has been nailed to a cross. And if you can get Jesus off the cross and uncrucify him, then maybe the covenant can be rediscussed. But you can't uncrucify Jesus. And so God is making a covenant with people, an agreement that says your sin for his righteousness Your impending and eternal death for his eternal life. Your unrighteousness for his holiness. It's a fantastic deal. And as always, God dictates the terms of the covenant. And God makes a covenant, a blood covenant with us on the cross. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with a new body, uh, incorruptible, a body that would never age, a body that would never die, a body that would last for all eternity. But one thing about the resurrected body of Jesus is that it still contained the signs of the crucifixion. When Thomas said, I'm not going to believe he's risen from the dead until I can see the wounds, Jesus said, help yourself. Because the wound was still in his side. The wound was still in his hands and his feet. When Jesus rose from the dead, he still looked like he'd been crucified, because he was the very embodiment of the sign of a covenant. That's a covenant. It's permanent. And the wounds of the cross are permanent. John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus as an adult, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When John the, the evangelist, John saw the book of Revelation unfold before him. When he looked at the great scene in heaven of God and the throne and all the elders and the living creatures and all the rest of it, he said, behold, in the midst of a throne. Now, I've missed a word out of this on purpose. It was the most important thing I'm going to say, and I blew it. I pressed send, and Gareth had got it before I realized. So I'm so sorry. It should say, behold, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Here's the unbelievable truth, ladies and gentlemen, that not only did Jesus rise from the dead and present himself to the disciples with the wounds of the cross, when you look at Jesus in heaven, who is now glorified and in the centre of it all, he still looks like he's been crucified, a lamb who looks like he's been slain. At the end of the hymn, Amazing Grace, it says, when we've been there, 10,000 years I could go further and say when you've been there 10 million years he's still going to look like he's crucified because God has made a covenant and in 10 million years time that covenant still stands the blood of Jesus is still powerful enough to forgive your sins because in heaven is a lamb who has been slain he still carries the marks of the cross it's a covenant relationship that God has established with us so when you look at the cross, you're looking at the reminder of a covenant. when you look at it on the chain around your neck or drive past it in a church, there is in heaven a Savior who still bears the marks of the cross. Ruth said she'd had a rough week, said she'd moaned more than she'd prayed. "I've moaned this week more than I've breathed," I think, Ruth. <laughs> Nothing went right. Some of it was my fault. Some of it was the people that are supposed to do my administration for me. Taking back to the idea of people doing what you ask them to do. <laughs> um, and there it was a poor week um, and a poor reaction from me, I have to say. But you see, I'm bothered, but in a sense, I'm not because my relationship with Jesus is not based on my performance this week. It's not based on how well I'm doing. It's not based on how saved I feel. It's based on the fact that 2,000 years ago on Calvary, God cut a covenant with us. And really, there's nothing I can do to uncrucify Jesus. There's nothing I can do to get rid of those wounds that he carries right through the whole of eternity. There's nothing I can do to do that because... The covenant has been made. And my relationship with God is not based on me, it's based on him. It's based on my reaction to him. Because when you hear the message of the cross, you have to make a decision. Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. You know, i found, I've been preaching for many, many years, but i found that when I preach Christ as an insightful, wise teacher, I get a fair hearing. When I preach Christ as a compassionate person who loved his fellow man, I get a fair hearing. When I preach Christ crucified, I cause trouble. Because when you realise that God has set the terms of a covenant and has made an agreement, you realise that when it comes to Jesus Christ, there's no neutral ground. You have to make a decision. You either accept him or you reject him. It's that simple. Because the covenant is not open for negotiation. It's the best deal you'll ever be offered. But you accept it or you reject it. And that's the simple fact of it. And today, if you've never accepted Jesus, it's really time that you did. Because God has laid out a covenant before you that is the best deal you'll ever be offered. So what was the covenant that Noah got given by God? Because God made a covenant with him. In Genesis chapter 9, God promised that he would make a rainbow in the clouds as a sign that even when it rained, he would never destroy the earth again by flood. Now, I did a bit of crude calculations, and I said that the ark had been in situ on the water for 150 days, but they were in the ark for a week before then. Um, as the water receded. It took a good couple of months. It's probably not entirely accurate, but I reckon you're looking at about 261 days that Noah and his family spent in the ark. Some of you were in lockdown, and some of you didn't even obey it at all. I, I loved some people's interpretation of lockdown. It was, it was like open prison, really wasn't it? it? was not I thought that there was a lot of a liberal especially Nigel and I would it, it, conducting funerals we, we saw some very liberal interpretation of those rules, I can assure you. but um, the fact is there was some pseudo lockdown, and by the end of it, we were thoroughly cheesed off with it, weren't we? We'd had enough um, two hundred and sixty one days in an ark there's no one hour's exercise and going down the pub to buy takeaway pints of beer and and you know um having a, a meal out in a tent outside a pub pretending it, you know i mean when somebody will write about this one day and we think nah, that never really happened it was unbelievable but um extraordinary stuff that we went through but 261 days on the ark and you finally get out um noah had his daughter-in-laws with him their families would have been wiped out. Everybody that Noah loved and knew was gone. Everything was different and an enormous job to do. Can you imagine how jittery they'd be the first time a few clouds came and it started to rain? You feel a few drops of rain. You think, No, you know, it's happening again. Everybody build another ark. Quick, is the old ark still serviceable? Run. Um, God said, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to do it again. Now when you read about God's prophecies and God's covenants in the Old Testament you find very quickly that God has a lovely economy of language. He doesn't repeat himself. God doesn't waffle. If he says something he says it and he leaves it at that. You read the covenant that God made with Noah and he repeats the words never again. Three times. He says, I will give you the rainbow to show that I will never again do this. I will never again. I will never again. Three times he says this. He's hammering the point home. It doesn't matter if it rains again. It doesn't matter if the evil floods again. It's never going to destroy the earth again. It's finished. And I'm sending you a rainbow as a proof of this. It's never going to happen again. Now I'd like to finish the message with something of a prophetic word that I've been carrying this week, and I hope you'll hear my heart as I deliver this today I do not believe that bad things only happen once to Christian people I think the human capacity to suffer and be tested is almost limitless and sometimes we find that several times we have to walk a miserable path that has been difficult but sometimes the word of God to us is the same as it was to Noah it will never happen again some of you have been through miserably, horribly painful relationships. And every time you enter a new relationship, any time that poor person behaves in any way similar to the last one, you think, aha, I knew it. It's going to happen again. It's like the, it's like Noah's family. Oh, my goodness, it's raining again. And we back right off. Some of you have had work experiences that have been absolutely miserable. And I tell you what. If you're miserable at work, you've got real problems, haven't you? If someone's being horrible in a position of power at work, you've got problems and you've come out of it. And every time in your new job, your new boss behaves anything like the old one. You think, oh my God, it's happening again. Sometimes people can be hurt in church. We think, here it goes again. This is how it started last time. The word of the Lord to some of you today is actually it isn't like the last time. There's a rainbow over your life and it's never gonna happen again, hear me. It's never, that relationship is not happening to you again. In the future, there'll be other things that you have to deal with, but it won't be this. It won't rain and flood the earth again. That relationship, that work situation, that church situation is never gonna happen again. And, and God said it to Noah three times, so I'll say it to you three times. It's never going to happen again. It's never going to happen again and it's never Going to happen again. It isn't. And there's a rainbow over some of your lives today. That's good. That's good. I was thinking about doing that little bit in the middle of the message about Jesus and the covenant. And then Gareth phoned me and said, I'm thinking about having communion on Sunday. Will that fit with your message? I said, only slightly. So when we break bread together, and when you when you hold the cup, think about what we've said. This is not some magical thing. Do you mind if I just speak plainly to you? Sometimes I've been in church a long time, and sometimes I've watched other people have the communion. I call it communion. I don't know what we call it here, but uh, um, you know, and they sort of—it's like they're entering the seventh heaven. And I'm thinking. I always feel quite inadequate because I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel when I'm doing this. I just got to—I mean, I was trying to be healthy, that I took the brown bread instead of the white bread, so I thought that's why I'm a five a day. And I—but I I thought, what what do I do? What am I supposed to feel? I—I'm not a Roman Catholic, so I don't believe this is the—I believe this is an emblem of something. I don't believe it's a sacrament. So, what am I supposed to feel? Everyone around me seems to be kind of, ooh. and I'm like, oh yes, me too. And I'm thinking. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel at this point. I'm sorry, but I don't. And then about 10 years after I first became a Christian, it dawned on me, I'm not, it doesn't matter. What I'm doing is what I've been told to do. I'm proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm taking the elements because they remind me of the fact that Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed, a covenant was cut, and I am free. So whether I feel any different is really not the point. Um, And so as the stewards um, bring the elements to us today, I want you to feel free. And we're going to become, I think we should come forward again, do you? And um, we want uh, Kay Marie to to do something for us, do you mind? Mm -hmm. Father, we just want to ask that today there'll be a sense of freedom in this place. Um, We hope he'll help us to make an offering, Lord, and give us the wisdom to know what to do. But we pray for these never again people here today. They know who they are. It's not all of us, but it's some of us. And I pray that even now, if they're thinking, well, I think it was me, well, then I'm going to repeat it again, because never again. Father, help us. And certainly, we just want to say thank you for the covenant. What would we be without you? How would we manage if we didn't know what we know? And you know, if there's anybody here today and you're thinking, well, I think I understand it now and I need to make a decision, I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment, please. We're going to ask that you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. We're going to ask that you consider the covenant today, that you repent, you say sorry for your sins, that you ask Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life and give you new life. Start your new life with God today. While we take these elements, we'd like to talk to you. And so if that's you and you think I need to make this decision today, I can't leave this place without making that decision, then come and speak to us. Come and talk to us. We don't want to you, we just want to talk to you. And I'd like to say a